Can you can you tell us what what your language is called? Uh, um, I don't use microphones a lot, so um, the language is called <laughs> Kinyamurenge, but it's also called Kinyarwanda, depending on who you ask. It's just really similar languages, but I'll go up there. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. I feel very much like a pastor right now, so. to bury me because I don't read in front of people, so this is a challenge. But okay, so we'll be reading uh, Second Peter, uh, chapter one, verse one to eight. And in mine it says, which is this Peter. Um, so he goes, Petro, uh, So that 
Through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Uh, for in your, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome. Uh, thank you very much. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Enoch. That's awesome, man. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Awesome. How cool was that? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Enoch. Awesome. Cool. So, yeah, we're starting a new series today. Um, we were in Ecclesia for four weeks looking at what church is and how we as a people live out being the church as it's not just like a building church but it's a called out people and we're moving into a series i think that has a little bit more application in some ways of what that looks like to be the church and like enoch read it like all those those things of like goodness and adding to that um uh you know like like all those different like eight different things i think and we're going to be going through each one of those so that we can hammer down on them and look at uh, what it looks like um, actively to follow Jesus. And like we're, call, we're calling this series Proven because it's kind of like proven ways to live as a part of, of Jesus's kingdom. And so with that, um, I want to want to talk about The Hobbit. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I promise not every illustration is, is Lord of the Rings, but um, I, I specifically, this thing um, hit home with me. The Hobbit is part of the Middle-earth saga known as the Lord of the Rings, uh, first of the, the series, and it's about an unlikely hobbit named Bilbo Baggins going on an unexpected journey, an adventure that like, wasn't a part of the lifestyle of the hobbits. They liked to lay, lay low and where, where they live and, like, don't try to be a part of things. Like, they have their little shire. And even in the series, like, Rings of Power, they stay out of everybody's way. Um, they, they're very quiet. And The Hobbit is a journey of Bilbo Baggins joining the party of 13 dwarves with the help of a wizard to find the dragon Smaug, destroy him, and then recover the dwarven kingdom located inside and under the lonely mountain that Thorin Oakenshield, son of Thrain, son of Thor, Thror, every time you read his name, it's like it has that in there, um, because he was heir to the throne as king. And the lifestyle lived while going on these adventures was vastly different from the normal everyday hobbit. He discovered that he actually did have like a sense of adventure, and in the Fellowship of the Ring, you actually see him, like, wanting to still go on adventure. And the reason why I talk about this is because while reading that about, like, Bilbo and, and just, like, not really wanting to do it and, like, kind of wanting to stay by himself and not see what's, what's out there in the world of Middle-earth, like, 
I felt convicted of like, that's how we as followers of Jesus can be. Where we don't want to go out, where it's easy for us to settle. And not, not just like contentment is good, but, but we're settling for, for less than what God wants for us out there. I think what we learn about this is that when we live where our souls and not where our flesh desires us to live, there's a world of adventure out there that is waiting for us to answer that call. We're starting this new series that will take us through the rest of our Wednesday nights, except for like a one at the end, that's a Christmas event, uh, which is all about proven ways to live as participants in the adventure of the Jesus kingdom. And it focuses on the introduction of Second Peter, which Enoch beautifully read for us. And Peter writes this letter to churches in Asia Minor that had fell victim towards former ways of living. They had decided, like, oh, you know, um, like, this Jesus thing is cool, but I also like this, this form of, of what we call sin. Um, I think that, that sounds good. And, and truly, since I'm doing it and not seeing, like, God doing anything because of it, uh, I think we're going to keep, keep doing that and keep the Jesus card uh, laid out there. And Peter writes this letter to urge them to be different. That even though it may not seem like it, that there are big implications to what, what these people were doing. And he's writing this letter to inspire action, to restore faithfulness and order to the church by countering the accusations that were made to like teachers of the way, as well as like the other apostles. And when this letter was written, this is kind of like Peter's farewell letter, last words um, to, to people, knowing that like persecution of Emperor Nero, um, like, like his time on earth was, was about to end. And so we get this beautiful letter from Peter um, where we're staying for eight weeks, just, just on the first eight verses, to get proven ways to live as a follower of the way of Jesus. And Peter wants the readers of this letter, as well as like listeners, to know that God is inviting us to become participants of his own divine nature. When we participate in the Jesus kingdom, it means we've escaped the corruption of the world. And by looking at these portions of verses, we're looking at what our lifelong response should be to this beautiful invitation from God. And that response is developing the character traits of God's own divine nature. Like that's an invitation for us to be participants in that. And by doing these things, we embrace the lifestyle of Jesus. And when we do that, we become extensions of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. We become little extensions of heaven on campus as it is in heaven, in Terre Haute as it is in heaven, insert your city that you end up at after college as it is in heaven. And so I want to pray, and then we'll, we'll get into to further stuff. Lord Jesus, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the time we have to uh, just come before you and learn from you. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you challenge and convict us, that we listen to what you have to say to us tonight um, in, in this series, Proven. And I just pray, God, that we would leave uh, just ready, excited, and filled with passion to, to follow what it is that, that you're calling us out to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
So at the heart of like what Peter's call here is, is we're called to live differently and seek the divine power of God to give us what we need to live as his image bearers. Peter even says like his divine power has given us what we need for a godly life, a life that lives like Jesus. Through his divine power, we receive promise to participate in his divine nature, escaping the corruption of the world. And if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, which means over time, so like we can't expect to be Jesus tomorrow, um, but they keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in the way we live as Jesus' apprentices. It's all about learning. And I love this quote from the late Dallas Willard um, in, his, in The Great Omission and another book, Hearing God. He says that grace opposes earning, but grace isn't opposed to effort. And by that, what he means is that as followers of Jesus, we have a beautiful opportunity to do things like scripture reading, like prayer, like fasting, like these things that we're going to talk about. We can do these things and learn to embrace these things and become closer to Jesus. They're pathways for us to come closer to Jesus. It's not about earning grace, and it's not about earning our place in, in the kingdom of heaven. We're already there, but we learn to be his participants through these things. And so, as tonight is like our introduction into this, I want to talk about like some things that like Jesus' call for us to live differently in is like escaping the corruption of the world and, like, through these things that we're going to talk about for the next eight weeks, like, they come to action through, through these things. Um, and so we're, we're going to look at, like, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, as well as love, agape love. And these are the things we're going to look at tonight are just two or three um, that, that I think are countercultural from like our Western society of today. And the first one is that we need to think of others as better than ourselves. We need to think of others as better than ourselves. And so it's easy for us to have the Herodian mindset that it's all about me. Anyone agree? Got some head nods. Uh, I think a lot of us are afraid to admit that that's true. <laughs> um, pride sucks. And because the enemy knows we fall into this trap, like, it's, it's easy for us to fall in there. Like, I know it's a trap for me. I'm not trying to completely, like, diss, like, our country as a whole. But, like, think of the history and advancement of, like, our society at the disadvantage of others to gain, like, the American dream. It's all about us. I'm not trying to argue politics or anything. It's not hard to see from like a humanity level all around the world. Like people have been dehumanized so that others can thrive. And because ever since Adam and Eve chose to rule in their own way versus God's way, the mindset of me has always been a temptation that we as humans struggle with. For me, I struggle with comparison. And because of like stubbornness and materialistic and thinking that I need to be the guy on top. I often have like the mindset be that before I can help others, I need to help myself too, which is true to an extent, but many times that can turn into an excuse not to help at all. 
And culturally, we're told to focus on the self, build our brand, and do what it takes to get to the top. We're a power-hungry people, and that hasn't changed. That's history. That's been forever, and we need to choose seeking God's power over the power of the enemy, the crafty snake that gets us all too often to eat from the tree of temptation. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to be different. We're called to think of others as, as actually better than ourselves, and Jesus wants to challenge us and make us live in that tension of what that means to value others above ourselves. Paul wrote these brilliant words in his letter to the Philippian church uh, in chapter 2. We're going to look through 1 through 4. Philippians is an amazing letter. Um, I would love to go further into the chapter, but, but uh, time. So, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Paul talks about how embracing this mindset of Jesus, which I think is also in relation to, to embracing the divine nature that we're going to be looking, like, looking at in this series, means we're united and have the same love. And what that means for us is that we have to go and love people. That means I have to make myself available and allow others to disrupt my day willingly and to enjoy that people are doing that willingly. That means I have to do things to provide for the needs of others. That means I have to forgive people who hurt me and admit when I'm wrong. And even in our relationships or marriage, you'll have to say these words. I'm sorry. I was wrong. You were right. And guys, please don't be stupid. We know we're wrong. And we keep trying to fight to know that, or try to get like from the 0.1% chance that, that we're actually right uh, to, to come through. Just admit that you're wrong right away versus trying to argue and hope for that slim 0.1% chance. It's not worth it. <laughs> and you can avoid a lot, a lot of arguments and a lot of, a lot of annoyances if you just go, okay, yep, you're right. You're, you are, are right. I was wrong. Anyways, Paul writes that if we are like-minded and united, sharing in the same mindset of Christ, then doing things out of selfish ambition or pride, it shouldn't be a thing. Instead, we need to seek humility. Humility values others. It doesn't look to our own interests, but you look towards the interests of others. If you know someone who is deeply humble, I'm sure you love them and you want to strive to be like them because they're gentle, they're full of love, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom and discernment. And when you are with them, you know you have their, their attention and availability. They look you in the eye, and sometimes they'll force you to look them in the eye, because they want you to know they have your attention. So let's not live in pride, but let's set that down and think of others as better than ourselves. What does that mean for, for you this week? 
how can you place others' needs above your own needs? Secondly, seek reconciliation with God and others. For Christ's love, uh, reading in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of us in our fleshly or worldly nature struggle with sin. And Christ's love is compelling because he died so that we all could live. He who had no sin became sin so that we could live. And anyone who is in Jesus, we're told that we're new creations. The old life is gone. The new life is here. That means who we once were, it's gone. All the things we struggled with, all the things we were tempted with, all the things that, that um, continue to, to be like darknesses in our lives, like that stuff is gone. And the new life with Jesus begins. God reconciled himself with us through Jesus. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, which means the restoration of friendly relations, as well as the restoration of our relationship with God. God did that for us through Jesus. And now we have a beautiful opportunity to see a world filled with darkness to find healing and reconciliation and light. Restoration to becoming friends and children of God and restoration to relationships with others in this world. Like, how many of you watch a movie or a show and get pumped when, like, the bad guy actually turns good? Anybody like that? Yeah, redemption. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm like that. And, and like, one of the prime examples that I think we see this in is, is when Darth Vader reconciles himself with his son, Luke. Yeah, yeah, that's right. When, uh, you know, he throws off what he had become as like a part of the dark side by lifting up Emperor Palpatine and throwing him over the edge to kind of die, question mark. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about, about anything beyond returning of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, that's a new, that's a different universe. Um, but, but that didn't come by just his own doing. It, became, it came, honestly, because Luke continually, like, sought after him. And you see that in, in, like, Return of the Jedi, where he's talking about trying not to fight his dad, right? It came because, because he knew that there was still good and hope in him. And so think of, we think of someone like Paul, 
who wrote this section about reconciliation. Like, Jesus didn't give hope in Paul, though he was persecuting, like, thousands of Christians. And through his conversion, he actually became persecuted and was willing to do so. And honestly, like, a bunch of times, there's, like, a passage where he's, he, not in, like, a prideful way, but he basically lists off all the ways he's, like, almost died and shipwrecked so many times and, and has been stoned basically to death and all this list of things. He faces so much persecution and he was glad to do so after being, being, um, being, having that vision and converting to knowing Jesus as his Messiah. We see Peter who denies knowing Jesus and in his resurrected state, Jesus reconciles with Peter and still builds his church on Peter. Like, if there was someone to go, Jesus could have let go Peter, but he didn't. He still built his church on him. And what if we did that too? Whether it's relationships in our own lives or helping others to find that reconciliation with others in their lives. In a world that honors can- cancel culture, how different would that be? How healing would that be if we found restoration with others that we hurt, abandoned, or hurt us and gave us pain? Because at the core, that's what we desire. And until reconciliation happens, feelings of hurt, feelings of pain continue to creep in. How amazing would it be if we didn't have to have those feelings towards someone else? But through our sinful nature, humanity brought pain to God. We brought pain to God. But he reconciled us with him through Jesus. So though we will fail time to time, we find reconciliation with our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus did for us out of love. So let's seek that reconciliation. Let the old life die and let the new life live. And the last one is being in step with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, it comes right after the the fruit of the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. People at times, like like if you talk about the Holy Spirit, people will think you're weird or goofy for saying anything about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, some head nods, yeah, you, you know. Sometimes even by other people who say they follow Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is often like this ginormous elephant in the room that nobody talks about because he's mysterious. I don't know everything that there is about the Holy Spirit because I'm not God, Uh, but Paul says that since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we do that, our lives should reflect that fruit of the Spirit he talks before that. So to me, it sounds like we should probably learn or pay attention to the Holy Spirit rather than shutting the door on him. Those conversations, way more than we have time for today, but we need to seek to be in step with the Holy Spirit. And by this, it'll lead you to do things you wouldn't have thought were possible. Specifically, these proven ways to live. It looks like integrating things like the sermon, or teachings like the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching on what it means to be a participant in his kingdom, doing things like loving your enemy, reconciling with someone who is angry with you, giving in secret, not putting on a show when you fast. It looks like not worrying and serving money, but instead serving God and being generous with your money. 
It means saying no to a job promotion or a new job with a higher pay because you feel like the Spirit is leading you to stay where you're at. Or saying no because the ethics of a new company. When a professor or boss tells you to do something sketch that you know you shouldn't do, you stand up against that and fight for what it means to follow Jesus, even if it means worldly consequences. And so if we take that step towards gaining freedom, if we take that step towards doing our best to listen to the Holy Spirit, God blesses that for standing up for what is godly and right. Like in his Sermon on the Mount, like God or Jesus even says, like, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want to do a little activity. Everyone, close your eyes. And so who is talking right now? Yeah, Eric got it. He was the first one and the only one. He pointed at me. That's right. So that's the activity. Yeah, yeah. And so Eric, Eric, since you're the only one that answered, how do you know that it was me? I can hear you, Ben. Yeah, you could hear me. You heard me. You knew my voice, right? And so listening to the Spirit of God is often hard, but we'll never learn to hear His voice if we don't take time to listen to Him and try our best to stay in step with Him and follow His voice. Honestly, sometimes you'll get it right. Sometimes you'll get it way wrong, and that's okay. It's a part of learning and why we have scriptures to test things on, as well as voices who can give beautiful wisdom into our lives. It's a big part of learning. A big way we do that with all of these things we've talked about today is by developing what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. If we learn to embrace these proven characteristics of the divine nature of God, we will enter a wonder-filled life full of adventure with God. Like, that's a guarantee. Back to The Hobbit. (laughs) Specifically the movie, not the book. Uh, In the unexpected journey of a long trilogy that could have been one movie, um, Gandalf is talking to Bilbo. They're having this conversation um, about he's trying to get Bilbo to be like their their guy who sneaks in and and basically like takes treasure and also gets them to where they need to go and um, He talks to him about how life isn't just in books and maps, but that that it's out in the world And for us, it's not just settling in life and trying to get as much money and status as we can But seeking what your heart is truly after which is Jesus and so Gandalf tells Bilbo You'll have a tale or two to tell of your own when you come back. And Bilbo says, can you promise that I will come back? And Gandalf says, no. And if you do, you will not be the same. If you choose to live in these proven ways and embrace the divine nature of God, you will not be the same. You will not be the same. And the tales that come with adventuring with God will continue to transform your heart and become more like his. Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you just for these proven ways 
to live like you, to learn to be like you. I pray, Jesus, just over the next eight weeks, nine weeks, um, that we would take what we learn from here and apply it to our lives, to let it sit in our lives, in our hearts, and let it change truly who we are. That eight weeks from now, I pray, God, that our lives would not be the same as they are now. They are, we are full of passion and excitement and thrilled to be participants in your kingdom and that our lives would look more like Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, time to, to go to connection groups. Uh, if you're new, grab someone.